Please sit comfortably. together in the rain, comforting the rain. This is the last talk I'll be giving today. This is our last full day, and then we have tomorrow. And uh, the title of this talk is simply Empathy. Look at empathy and how that permeates through our practice. But empathy, as you all know, is the ability to feel another person's feelings or to experience their life experience. And we use those common terms, you know, to, to walk in another person's shoes or to be in another person's skin uh, and to just, just kind of imagine or identify or, or feel within ourselves whatever it is their experience is. And this is one of the things that makes us human. Um, People often um, make a subtle distinction between um, empathy and compassion, whereas they say that empathy is this ability to feel what another person is feeling, but um, compassion is the desire to reduce any suffering that someone else might be experiencing. So it's, it's empathy, but it's more than empathy. It's this desire to want to... Um, resolve the suffering. Mm -hmm. But maybe it's just a semantic difference. I think if we're, we're fully, if we're fully um, empathic with someone's experience, one assumes that what goes along with that is the desire to shift that experience if we could. And in Buddhism, um, a distinction is made between compassion and pity. And compassion means to suffer with, right? So that's it's like the basis of empathy. When we empathise with someone, we kind of suffer with them if suffering is what they're experiencing. We experience some of that ourselves. The pity is kind of like looking down from someone from a more powerful position. So imagine kind of like people up on the castle walls looking down at the beggars outside, you know. Gee, it's really bad. Mm -hmm. um, there might be a, a sense of um, empathy, but it, it's not about, um, it's not complete. It's kind of like a quart of air. Mm -hmm. But my sense is with full and complete and open-hearted empathy, I can't see how it wouldn't lead to um, a desire, if not an action, um, to reduce suffering. Empathy, to put it in a Dharma context, is empathy, when we experience empathy, and we all do in various different ways in our life, every time we experience empathy, we are touching on the nature of interbeing. Mm -hmm. That sense that everything is connected mm -hmm. and nothing is separate from me. Everything is a reflection of me. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, Every moment, every emotion, every experience of empathy is at an emotional level is touching on that point. Mm -hmm. And in um, modern neuroscience, there's a type of 
um, neuron that they've discovered, which is called mirror neurons. You might have heard of mirror neurons. But they discovered mirror neurons through um, having a monkey, and they pinch the monkey or something like that, something that makes the monkey hurt, and they see how the, the pain lights up in the brain. And then they have, then this, this researcher noticed that when another monkey was pinched in the same area, this monkey who was first pinched, the same area of his brain lit up, you know, like a sort of demonstration of, of empathy, you know, that we can sort of experience what other people experience. And what seems to be the case is that um, we're all kind of born with these mirror neurons, but unless we experience love and empathy towards ourselves, the seeds don't necessarily, the neurons don't necessarily develop. You know, we know that people haven't been given love, you know, or whatever, um, may not grow up to necessarily have empathy for themselves or empathy for other people. And there's a parallel in, in Dharma teaching, you know, is that we, we all have the seeds there, we all have the seeds of Buddha nature, mm -hmm. and it's the potential which is all, always there. And when those seeds um, are, are watered, do you know, with rain, do you know, nourished with rain, and when they're, they're in the sunshine of mindfulness, they, it grows, it develops, the seeds bloom mm -hmm. into flowers. So it's like the potential for realizing Buddha nature is always there, mm -hmm. but it needs, they, those seeds need to grow and blossom with practice. The same thing is true with people in we see in counselling and psychotherapy is that people may have, through no fault of their own, lost out on um, love, you know, and care when they were children, and it's impacted on their emotional life. But even as adults, those mirror neurons, those seeds, can be watered with empathy, and you can see people grow and their emotional maturity grow even in adulthood. The seeds are always there, they just need nurturing. <clears throat> um, the actual nature of empathy, if we really look at it closely, it's about um, attunement with someone else's experience. And we use these terms in counselling, attunement and misattunement. So it's like attunement's like, attunement's like when we really... We really go in and we finally kind of really recognise the subtlety of what another person has experienced. Not only do we do that, but we actually mirror back through our face what we're experiencing often. Do you, you who are teachers and of children, do you know, or mothers, do you know, and, and you, a child is crying, so they're, they're sad, and you kind of get down at that level and you show them the sadness in your face. Oh, that must really hurt. And and the child knows through you doing that that you get it, that you know what it's like to feel hurt and you're expressing it back to them and then they feel understood. And that's part of emotional growth that occurs. And then we, we all do that in various kind of ways in the way we relate to one another. We mirror back each other's experience and each other's emotions so that we, we understand one another. Each time we're doing it, we're touching on this wonderful thing called interbeing. 
The thing to remember about empathy, though, um, is that often we 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 can we assume that empathy is just attuning to um, suffering in others, like negative experiences or whatever. And what we need to remember, which is part of Dharma teaching as well, is that we can also attune well and empathise well with other people's experience of happiness and joy and fulfilment. Mm -hmm. And if if someone's um, really happy, right, and we're trying to tune into their sadness, we're, we're misattuned. Uh huh. They feel like you don't get me. Uh -huh. So we need to remember that empathy is not just towards the negative. Empathy is towards the the positive sense of experience as well. The whole the whole range of experience. Also, empathy to empathise with someone is not actually the same as agreeing with them. You might, you might uh, empathise with a person's feeling, but you may not necessarily agree with how they came to that feeling or their perception of the world. <clears throat> you just might empathise with the fact that they feel frustrated about something or sad about something. And what goes along with empathy is containment. And um, containment is the ability to just hold experience there in empathy um, until it's necessarily acted on or not acted on. Simply, simple example from parenting, say, you know, with teenagers. So you have a teenager who wants to go out late at night, you know, and you say, no, you can't go out because you've got an important exam tomorrow. We need to be, you know, fresh and awake for it. But I want to go out, you know. Well, I understand you're frustrated, right? but you're not going out. Empathy is just recognising the feeling and understanding the feeling of frustration. It doesn't necessarily mean anything goes. And this applies to practice as well, because part of practice is to, the word self-compassion use, it's the same thing. But it's important that we um, develop a sense of empathy, you know, towards our own experience. And, um, and as we develop a sense of empathy towards our own experience, it's not a matter of um, just repeating the stories in our head over again, having some sense of pity of what happened to me. That's not what it is. And when, you, when you put it into practice, it's about being in the body with your experience, sadness, anger, pain, joy, neutrality, whatever it might be, and, and you have an empathic attunement to your own experience. Mm -hmm. that's, what, that's what the two of those things are together. So many people um, act out what they're feeling or want to talk out what they're feeling or want to fantasise out what they're feeling, okay? Might be fine. Um, but when you really, you really start to cook, when you let go of the fantasy, you let go of the talking out, you let go of the acting out, and you just come back into the, 
mindfulness of the body with, with, with really finely attuned mindfulness and finely attuned empathy as well. That's when you cook. Um, you probably heard me talk on Tuesday night, maybe here too, how um, I've been somewhat um, uh, critical of a movement in, in counselling or therapy around self-compassion and how self-compassion is taken out of the Dharma context and it's used in, in therapy to help people. And um, what my criticism of it is, is that in a Dharma practice, it's not just compassion towards self, right? it's compassion towards others, the two go together. Right? It's, it's, compassion towards self is just half the practice. It's maybe a good place to start. But if it just stays in self-compassion and it doesn't go beyond that, then you're still stuck in some kind of little narcissistic bubble. Mm -hmm. So it starts here, but it needs to flow out to others as well. But I have a new take on self-compassion where I'm not so critical of it anymore, because I think it's actually a brilliant homeopathic cure to narcissism. Uh -huh. Like if you're just interested in yourself, right, then you just sort of turn it round a bit and have self-compassion towards yourself, and then it, it shifts. You know, so instead of just wanting, 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 you can have compassion for yourself at the fact that you want something but you didn't get it, and you're disappointed or you're angry or whatever. You can have compassion towards that experience, right? So it's like just a little tweaking of it, you know, and and the self-interest can be turned around to actually healing something. Mm -hmm. It's a different way of looking at it, but. The nature of our practice is that we may start with self-compassion, but the nature of practice is we go along in it through our life and through, through years of training, is that the, the circle of empathy gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Mm -hmm. um, Joko referred to this in one of her books as the ABC of practice, a bigger container. Mm -hmm. The circle of interbeing widens, widens, widens. So maybe one day it includes everything. Nothing is excluded from the circle. It's no longer a circle. But we're often challenged by um, our empathy being a small circle. We need to realize what it doesn't include. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we can have an empathy towards people in our own family or our own friends or our own sangha or our own tribe or our own nation, but it doesn't expand completely. I'll give an example from everyday life. Um, where we live in North Sydney, um, every season uh, we um, uh, have um, some guests arrive, some fair-feathered guests arrive called cuckoos, mm -hmm. and cuckoos are seasonal birds, and um, maybe you know about um, cuckoos, but if you don't, I'll just give you a bit of background, is that cuckoos are seasonal birds, and the parents come, and the mother comes and lays her egg, or her eggs, in another bird's nest, and then they fly off 
you know, and then when the season comes around again, do you know that when the when the little birds are grown, they fly off and everything, but they don't actually. The, the cuckoo mother doesn't actually sit on a nest and hatch the eggs. So what happens is that um, the cuckoo egg stays in the magpie's nest with all the other magpie mothers' eggs, and um, and then suddenly, um, when all the when all the eggs hatch, this cuckoo comes out, right? Um, who's bigger and louder than all the rest. And what they do is that they kill off the other chicks, or they're so they're so big and they're so they're, they're, they're eating all the food up that the other the other little chicks die. Mm-hmm. And so we've seen this. You can see them up in the nest, and and you see these mother magpies. Um, constantly like wearing themselves out to the bone. You can almost see it, you know, so they they it's this big squawking cuckoo going, ah, 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 and they're really loud and raucous. And you see this little mother magpie, do you know, it's about half its size, with a worm, do you know, and it puts it into its mouth and this thing greedily, you know, rub gets it down and then it starts squawking again immediately. You know, you can see the mother bird going, oh, you know, how can I keep this thing quiet? You know? And um, and then it, it sort of you can almost see it wearing wearing the mother bird out with fretting and so on, you know, to try and because all its instincts are being triggered because it thinks it's being tricked into thinking this is my baby, right? And I've got to look after it. Some people refer to it as um, nature's cruel joke. Mm-hmm. Now, my natural empathy goes towards mother magpie. Mm-hmm. And where my circle of empathy needs to develop is the cuckoo, too. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. the cuckoo didn't choose to be a cuckoo. It's just genetically programmed to do what it does to survive. You know? It's just, that's the Buddha nature of cuckoos. That's what they do. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, it's like um, Thich Nhat Hanh's beautiful poem, you know, Please Call Me By My True Name. I'm the mother magpie, and I am the cuckoo, learning to sing in my new nest. Mm-hmm. We need to broaden out. That's, that's the nature of practice, is that we broaden, broaden, broaden into a bigger container. And maybe one day, nothing's outside of that circle anymore. There isn't a circle. Um, What I was originally intending to talk about today were um, the uh, precepts of the usefulness of good practice to go out on. You know, I was reminded of how to practically take this practice into everyday life and work with it. Um, but as I was reflecting on it, I felt really, um, instead of um, giving a sermon on precepts, we look at what's actually underneath, what is the intuition underneath precepts, and that's empathy. Mm-hmm. Empathy is what drives the practice of the precepts and the expression of the precepts. So if, we, if, we, if the empathy builds, um, that would be the natural expression of it. We know what to do. But just to remind you of the precepts again, not to kill, but to nurture life. 
Not to steal, but to receive what is offered as a gift. Not to misuse sexuality, but to be caring and faithful in intimate relationships. Not to lie, but to be truthful. Not to intoxicate with substances or doctrines, but to promote clarity and awareness. Not to speak of others' faults, but to speak out of loving kindness. Not to praise self at the expense of others, but to be modest. Not to be possessive of anything, but to be generous. Not to harbour anger, but to forgive. Not to diminish wisdom and compassion in all its many forms, but to support it and nurture it. Mm -hmm. So all of those things are really just the expressions of, of empathy. If we develop empathy, that's that's the the, um, the expression it will take, the, the movement it will take. And um, it doesn't cost us anything to do that. It's just a turning around inside of it that's required. Okay.